Jesus called his first disciples in Galilee. If you've been following along with me through this season of Epiphany this year, you may have begun to notice that calling, calling has become something of a theme through the lectionary readings this time of year. A couple of Sundays ago, we celebrated Baptism of the Lord Sunday and noticed that baptism itself comes with a calling or an announcement of sorts. The announcement of your and my deep belovedness. Deep belovedness made plain and clear in our baptism that then commissions us into a new and different sort of life. A life that is rooted deeply in that announcement, that claim on us of God's belovedness. And then last Sunday, with that reading from the book of Isaiah, if you remember it, in which the suffering servant is laboring under their sense of calling, that suffering servant there in that passage from Isaiah 49 reveals a moment of struggle with their sense of God's purposes in their life, if you remember it, reveals that struggle and yet also allows us to see, as I talked about last week, that, that living into God's purposes is always, always a matter of maintaining that interlocking balance, of discerning on the one hand where God is calling us, secondly, Discerning our gifts, our charisms, remember that second C, our charisms, our gifts to do the work. And then, third of all, maintaining and even deepening that connection along the way with the God who calls us and uses us to carry out God's work. This theme of calling seems rather loud and clear in the season after Epiphany, this season whose telltale hymns are, are hymns like, Go tell it on the mountain! And we three kings, both about people being drawn out to follow, being called out to go somewhere and to announce something. But today, today we read about Jesus' call to those very first disciples, and is there any significance to the fact, I wonder, that call was made in Galilee? Galilee. Now Galilee, as you may know, is up in that northernmost part of the country of Israel. I brought my laser pointer with me this morning. This is Galilee, way up here. Look at that. In fact, it's the area around the Sea of Galilee, of course, that runs westward up until about 15 miles from the Mediterranean Sea, as you can see there. And all through that region, in Jesus' time, you would have found quite the combination of, of little Jewish towns and little fishing villages spotted here and there by the occasional Greek or Roman city with marbled structures and columns. And the other things that would have looked very foreign, very cosmopolitan in this otherwise out-of-the-way little region. Truth be told, it wasn't all that out-of-the-way when you looked at it 
from the larger point of view like the Romans did, Galilee ran somewhat near to these main roads that went throughout the world and that could get you from Syria all the way down from Egypt. Roads that you'd have to use to move armies. Roads that would have been major trade routes. The Romans wanted to build their cities along those roads throughout the Mediterranean world. And a couple of those major roads came together in Galilee. So in addition to your traditional towns with that more local flavor, you'd also have these cities we hear of from time to time in the Gospel. Towns like Tiberias and Sepphoris, if those ring a bell. Samaria, a little further to the south. Gadara and Hippos there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee was dotted with these Roman cities that brought with them Roman culture and Roman ways of doing things. You could find in many of them altars and statues and temples to gods like Zeus and Apollos and even the wine god Dionysus. So you can imagine You can just imagine that that was not altogether a welcome development in the eyes of many of Galilee's native Jewish inhabitants. Galilee was just about as close to what we would call today a secular environment. As close as you could get within a traditional Jewish kind of territory. It was ruled over by the Herods for much of the Roman era, and the Herods were much, much more interested in currying favor and position with Rome than they were with maintaining the nation's independence or traditional ways of life. No, Galilee was secular in the sense that it was cosmopolitan. It was secular in the sense that there were a number of ways of life in Galilee to choose between. You may know that that word secular in its origins just means the world. The world. The saculum in Latin. The place that manifests a variety of human cultures and human beliefs. Charles Taylor, one of the great contemporary writers and theorists on secularity in our time, defines the word secular in a way that I find very helpful and enlightening. He says, it is the environment or setting in which belief in God or any set of culturally specific beliefs for that matter, the environment or setting in which belief in God is an embattled option. That's his word. That's his phrase. An embattled option. Embattled, in fact, because there are so many options embattled because in such an environment, beliefs of many different kinds have to vie for their survival and often feel threatened and so often go on the defensive in order to survive. Taylor is very convincing in describing our contemporary secular scene that way, and I suspect it applies rather well to ancient Galilee, too. Markedly different, I would say, than for the southern region of Israel down in Judea, where there were comparatively fewer Roman cities, comparatively less 
Roman interest, except maybe for Jerusalem, and those well-traveled roads ran well, well further to the coast. No, Judea was a much more homogeneously Jewish kind of place, a culturally safer kind of place, perhaps. But then Jesus headed north to call his disciples in Galilee. And as we read today, he met them there by the Sea of Galilee, told them to drop their nets and to come follow me and I will make you fish for people. That was in Galilee. Secular Galilee. Not safe Judea. It was in Galilee, in fact, that he called all of his disciples. It was in Galilee that he did most of his ministry. It was in Galilee where those disciples walking with him from town to town, sometimes in the countryside, sometimes up there on the mountaintop, sometimes down with him around those cities and towns. It was there in Galilee where those disciples grew with him from being just these green fishermen that we meet today into apostles. Mature, spiritually formed and confident apostles ready to carry out the word to the world and make disciples of their own in the secular spaces and places well beyond this side of the Mediterranean. What does it say to us, do you think? What does it say to us that Jesus went up and called his disciples in Galilee? It says to me, at the very least, that secular places like Galilee aren't places to be afraid of or to retreat from. It seems to me that Jesus saw them as his mission field, as a field ripe for the harvest, like in that Van Gogh painting that I showed last week. I think, I suspect that we have a tendency to want to retreat into our safe enclaves, into our Judeas, so to speak, where we think it's safe, where the cultural terrain looks familiar and less challenging, rather than go with Jesus to Galilee. That's my suspicion. And so I wanted to bring this front and center in our Scripture reading for this morning as we continue this theme of calling in this season of announcing God's good news. What does it mean for us that Jesus went to Galilee? And look at what he did this morning. Look at what he does here in our reading for today. He literally just walks up to a couple of guys and said, Hey, would you like to come with me? Would you like to join me? Would you like to come on a journey with me? Can it really be that simple? Actually, I think it can. Even in Galilee. Friends, I want you to imagine something with me this morning. Imagine a scenario, maybe 
Maybe you're in the aisle of the grocery store. Maybe you're in Walmart. Maybe at, at the ball game. Somewhere out beyond the confines of your comfortable, homey spaces. Somewhere out there in the world, maybe. Imagine yourself coming into contact in that place with another human being. And imagine with me that your body language is open, friendly, not closed off and unavailable. And something insignificant happens that allows you to to strike up a friendly, innocent conversation with this person that allows you to connect for a moment. Now, you've been having this friendly conversation there in the aisle of the grocery store for three or four or five minutes, 25 minutes if you're my spouse. A zinger in the first service. She'll defend herself, believe me. Zing. Now, you've been having this conversation now for five, six minutes, 25 minutes. Whatever you, whatever you prefer. And it's coming to about that time to wrap up the conversation. Can you imagine yourself in as easy and as friendly a conversation as that saying, Hey, I'd love you to come to my Bible study with me. Hey, I go to the Milford United Methodist Church. I'd love to have you join me for church sometime. Come to potluck sometime. Come to lamplighters sometime. Come to the United Methodist men's group sometime or a youth event sometime. Many of us do that, I know. But many of us find that very, very difficult for some reason. Even even in an exchange that is as open and as friendly as the one that we're imagining. And the truth is that extending the invitation to discipleship isn't any more complicated than that. We sometimes imagine, I think, that extending the invitation is going to turn into some confrontation or some endless debate. No, not the way Jesus did it. Because Jesus wasn't out there on the street corners trying to get people to convert or make instantaneous decisions about Theological programs that they don't know anything about. Jesus was calling disciples in Galilee and giving them the on-ramp to just come along from exactly where they are today and to follow at just exactly the pace that they're ready to follow. His only invitation is come. Follow me. Now, some folks in the Christian world out there will tell you that to be faithful and to be effective in missions, that you've got to hit folks hard right at the front door. There was a movement in the 1980s and 1990s that sent folks out into supermarkets and Walmarts and wherever, having them ask a question like this one. If you died tonight, I'm seeing this head nods. If you died tonight and you encountered God at the doors of the pearly gates and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, I'd say the God of grace isn't hanging out with ultimatums 
at the pearly gates anyway. And the invitation that he offers isn't just or even mainly about what happens on the other side of this life. But the Jesus that I encounter in this one. No, Jesus didn't go to Galilee to hit people up with gimmicky ultimatums. He went to call disciples. Can you imagine yourself being just so brave and open as that? To extend a a kind and generous invitation in the context of just a friendly conversation. I'm asking today about you. Not whether they will accept. I'm asking whether you have that in you Or can you find your way to somehow have that in your heart to follow that call that Jesus makes of us all? Oh, Jesus had a lot to say about whether they'd accept or not. That's out of your hands. Some seeds fall on rocky soil, some on thorny soil. Only a quarter or less of those seeds in that parable make it into fertile soil. No matter The point is that you keep sowing seeds all over that ground. But that's that's exactly where Jesus calls us. That's where Jesus himself went. To Galilee. He calls and makes disciples in Galilee. He calls you and I to the Galilee's of our day and time. And if we look out around us at the world that we're living in today and say, oh no, but the world is secular out there. Well, that's Galilee. Jesus calls us onward to Galilee. Church, let us move onward and outward with Jesus to Galilee. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.